Today is Monday, November 27th, 2017, time for episode 37 of the Barnhart Podcast. The Thanksgiving Day weekend is behind us here in the United States. For our international listeners, Thanksgiving is the secular national holiday where nominally we give thanks for what we have, eat too much food, and try to be nice when the family members we only see once or twice a year start talking about politics. And when our day of thanks is over, we celebrate the second day of thanks by literally stampeding, fighting, and in some cases even killing uh, other shoppers in the annual orgy of consumer excess known as Black Friday. So it's only fitting that it was the last Sunday of Pentecost this past weekend, the first of two weeks in a row, where the liturgy directs us to think about the end of the world, the four last things, and our eternal destiny. I presume, Anne, you spent the weekend doing less of the consumer thing and more of the contemplative thing? Uh, yeah, quite a bit less. Um, had a, had guests come, and that was wonderful. And then just as the last of the guests left, I fell apart and am now officially sick. I have um, what can only be described as Elmer's wood glue just shooting out of my nasal cavities. It's uh, really gross and really sticky, and there's probably going to be some edits in this uh, podcast where me making just absolutely horrible noises as I blow my nose are going to be edited out. And yes, I'm sure I do sound a little bit funny. Not my, my normal... Uh, resonant baritone voice, but something something considerably different. But you know what? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And got through all the all the Thanksgiving goings on and managed to completely avoid all Black Friday violence. Super nerd, you sent me what was the name of the website you sent me? Black Friday Death Count or something like that. Black Friday Body Count. It, it, body it was something count. I had yeah. never seen before, and it goes back to about 2006. I guess was when they decided to start tracking this. But literally people injured, people being killed. I mean, people doing mm-hmm. things like uh, pulling a gun or a knife on somebody. Um, it, it's more violent in Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving than it is in the average uh, prison yard. It's I have no understanding of any of that. Anyone who would who would camp out and, and do that kind of ridiculous stuff in order to buy, you know, what, a, a $12 toaster or a... A hundred and ninety-nine dollar television, or something like that. I mean, I I cannot on any level relate to any of that. And you know, you see the violence um, every year. It's the same thing. They show it's again. It's usually in black inner city uh, communities, and you've got people just acting literally like animals. And that is the propaganda. It comes out of it every single year. Look at this. Look at this. Um, there's one famous, there's a famous, um, I don't know if it's a YouTube video or what it is. First half of it is showing people in Black Friday, you know, doing exactly what you said, stampeding, clawing, fighting, punching, biting, you know, in order to get a, a, a juicer for $9.99 or something like that. And then it cuts and it is a um, it's a, a group of dogs and, you know, it's a kennel. It's clearly a kennel somewhere. And these dogs are all lined up in front of their food dish and the food is in front of them. And they've been just obedience trained so well that they all sit there and wait patiently. And then one by one, the human tells them and calls them by name and says, okay, um, Goldie, you can start eating now. And Goldie starts eating and then goes down the line and you just see the complete orderliness of these dogs and juxtaposed against the human beings. And it really is, um, it's scary because obviously human beings are rational intellects and are not animals, but it points up the depths to which human beings can descend as rational intellects. It isn't just descending into the depths of sexual perversion, which seems seems to be what we end up talking about a lot be- just because of the, the context of all of this. But the other descents, the gluttony, the avarice, the materialism, and just the utter complete narcissism where it gets to the point where you look at human beings and you think, wow, human beings are capable by their own free choice of descending to a state that is even inferior to the behavior of animals. And uh, it's uh, it's scary. And again, you, you, you just wonder what's going to happen when 
all civilizational controls, all backstops are pulled away. And what are the depths that the human person can descend to? And sadly, one of the days that points this up, especially in the in the U.S. and Canada, is this Black Friday crap. Um, and it's considered to be the start start of the Christmas season. But we have a whole we have a whole rant coming on that. We have a whole show coming dedicated to that. So we'll uh, we'll leave it there, and we'll leave you hanging for the next episode. Well, in this intro talking about consumerism, we're actually jumping uh, jumping the gun over the introduction of the the topic for this show, which is substitutions for God. This last week, I read a, a blog piece in a, the, the Dominican Journal, and the the topic was sports and religion. And one of the quotes in, in, in this piece is that uh, the human soul has an inbuilt need to be religious. And when we deny God, then man will invent something else to worship. It doesn't matter how much we try to claim that this isn't the case or that we're atheists or whatever. We will fill the void with some ersatz spirituality. The soul is restless until it rests in God. And it really got me thinking about all the different ways in which uh, human beings, even though most of them today in, in modern society, it's hip to say that you're uh, at best spiritual or, or mm-hmm. have some kind of seeking spirituality uh, to outright atheist, but you still can't deny the fact of human nature. We have a, a, an infinite uh, need in our soul, but we are finite. And so if we don't actually acknowledge God in religion, we will find substitute religions or substitute substitutes for God in religion. And one of those ways is consumerism. Um, I'll grab a, a quote from uh, St. Paul. Uh, Be ye followers of me, brethren, observe uh, them who, who walk so as are who walk so as to have our model for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end Mm. is destruction, whose God is their belly, which is Mm -hmm. another way of saying they they are attached to the things of the world whose glory is their shame. Yeah. That mind earthly. It isn't, it isn't just when they, when St. Paul says their belly, he isn't just talking about people who are gluttonous in terms of food. That's, that's, I mean, certainly that's that's a big part of it. And absolutely, with the obesity ep- epidemic and everything in the post-Christian West, both in the United States and in Western Europe, especially in the UK, oh, they're just fatter than houses in the UK because they're completely godless now. Yes, gluttony in terms of food and drink is certainly a, a major problem, but it's also the consumerism, the shopping. I mean, when, when I hear, hear the, that word belly, you know, what actually pops into my mind is like these, these Kardashian, uh, I don't even want to call them women, these Kardashian creatures and, and things like that. The just constantly chasing after clothes, um, mutilating their bodies, uh, entering into that sort of just bizarre app, narcissistic avarice and so forth. Um, just cars and Hey man, I'm, I, we've talked about this before. I love cars and you know, that was a hobby of mine when I had the money to have such a hobby as that. But all of that stuff gets taken to these just absolutely wild extremes where that you're you're not worshiping God. You have no engagement with the church, with the liturgical calendar. Nothing, no prayer life, nothing. And so, yeah, you, you people are just constantly looking for something to do and and something in a sense to achieve. If I can just get a few more horsepower, if I can just, you know, get this set of ground effects or something like that, oh, then then my life will be perfect. And and then you get it, you, you get your, your, your supercharger installed on your car and you get your car up to 500 horsepower. And then you go to bed that night and you're, you're still empty and miserable. And so the thought process is, well, I'm going to have to do something else now. I'm going to have to get a better car. I'm going to have to do something else to get more horsepower out of my car. Um, and, you know, with, with women, it's the same thing. One more outfit, if I can you mean just men get meaning to upgrade to a newer woman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose you can make that argument. But women are chasing that perfect outfit that is, you know, the outfit to end all outfits. It will be completely flattering to me, and I will stop traffic as I walk down the street. And the perfect pair of shoes, the most flattering pair of shoes ever, and then 
you you go out and you spend money and you buy these clothes and you wear these clothes and these shoes and accessories and for some of these crazy women they do the the body mutilation and plastic surgery and it's just it's never enough you know it doesn't it satisfies nothing i suppose i've never done any drugs but i suppose like um cocaine or something I, I guess the reason that people do those drugs is because there's a a rush of euphoria at the very beginning and then it just almost instantly peters away and cascades away. And so that's why it becomes addictive and you have to keep doing more and more. Um, and their and th- their lives are just so empty and it I it's it's sad. Um you look at people like that and, you know, super nerd myself, people who are going to mass. Um, I, I try to go to mass. I do go to mass almost every day, um, praying every day, so on and so forth. And you, you stop and you realize that there's a, a massive, massive percentage of the population who just never does that. Never, never has any contemplation of God, um, of of their salvation, of heaven, of hell, of sin, of where they fit in 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 the cosmos, um, what they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be interacting with other, with other people, what what God's will is for their life, people that just go through their entire lives and never think about any of these things. But what are they thinking? The, they'll follow the Kardashian Twitter account and they'll interact with other. Kardashian fans and and they'll watch the TV shows religiously and you were yep. mentioning talking about getting the perfect outfit and all the rest how many of these people who couldn't do more than 15 minutes of a Lenten observation will fast for weeks to fit mm-hmm. into an outfit and literally do sacrifice for a vain purpose but couldn't do it for God exactly people met and now it's men and women who get themselves into eating disorders um, induced vomiting Etc. Etc. It's just, and you can also apply that. It also goes to the um, fitness craze thing. Now, I want to make very, very clear that I am not against people being physically healthy, taking exercise. I lifted weights for years and years. I did CrossFit. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very much in favor of people being physically healthy. I'm not saying that exercise is bad at all. And there are people out there floating around who will say, oh, yes, all of that stuff is bad. I, I don't think so at all. I think it's it's part of your responsibility in life to keep yourself in some sort of a shape. But obviously what we see is that that in and of itself becomes substitute religion. That becomes substitute liturgy. That becomes substitute prayer. Um that becomes, you know, the goal. Well, if I can just get my body fat percentage down, if I can just bench five more pounds, if I can just increase my personal best and it it becomes extremely unhealthy very quick, it turns into there's a lot of somatic narcissism, obviously, obviously. And that's why um, if you're if you're ever around any um, serious weightlifting gyms, um, You'll, what you'll cotton to fairly quickly is that the guys who are the really super addicted, uh, unhealthily addicted to weightlifting and weight training guys and the somatic narcissists who are always staring at themselves in the mirror in the gym are oftentimes bisexual or or gay. Um, and you wouldn't think that being as muscle bound as they are. And you, you would think that that would be a profoundly masculine thing. But remember, when you it's the narcissism, narcissism leads directly to sexual perversion. So there's a tremendous amount of sexual perversion revolving around all of that um, unhealthy weightlifting culture. You can you can do weightlifting in a very healthy way. I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's, in fact, I think it's intrinsically good for people to do resistance training. Um, it's good for bone strength and so on and so forth. And um, done correctly, yeah. it's good for mobility. I mean, that, that's that's something yeah. I've been starting to try to get into in the last uh, year or so. With my job, I am sitting at least forty mm-hmm. hours a week, uh, eight to ten hours a day or more. And uh, I, I 
quite frankly, am atrophying some muscles that used to be somewhat developed. So this is something where uh, I listened to a podcast by a former gymnastics coach, and he was stressing the the, the need for not just uh, strength, but strength through motion. And, and so that was something I've been working on. And he specifically rips on, well, to, to the degree that he rips on anybody, uh, points out the danger of, of CrossFitters that that uh, if you some some of the things they do, you have you have a much higher instance of, of tearing up your shoulders and other other parts of your body with some of the things they do than than uh, gymnastic type type uh, training. But that's a complete tangent point. Uh, I think the minority of people in American culture or British culture or a lot of the cultures uh, these days, the, the advanced Western type cultures, I think the the minority are, are the types who are who are spending so much time in physical fitness that it's a problem for them. I would think that the majority uh, are not. Um, giving proper are, are not are not taking proper care and maintenance of, of the temple of, of the Holy Ghost and 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 are letting themselves become fat slobs and that that yeah. affects the, the the that affects the mind as well it affects the soul I think we mentioned on the last podcast that the the whole uh, body soul composite spiritual and and immaterial composite that makes up the human being if something happens to the physical side it impairs the the mental side as well anybody who has been uh, just blown up to a huge weight, got fat and sluggish and, and, and tired will tell you that one of the things that, that, uh, happens is you can't concentrate on things for a long time. Try doing meditation or reading the gospels. That is something that's going to, you know, slow down your ability to grow spiritually. Then go on a diet, go on an exercise routine. You find out that your mental clarity, your ability to focus jumps up significantly. Um, that is for your spiritual well being as well. So there, there is a legitimate reason to keep your, your mind in order or to keep your body in order in order to help the mind because the two go together. I mean, the, the, the meat computer between your ears actually is the logic engine for your soul. I mean, the, the personality and the knowledge exists in the immaterial part of your soul, but the logic engine is, is between your, your ears. So that's why if you take a crowbar to the head, your ability yeah. to, to do logic is impaired. Um, how that all fits and works together, we'll find out in the next life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they do go together. But the whole point being that it, it, it goes with the consumerism and also a topic we're going to get into a little bit later with, with, with sports. But uh, yeah, it, it, consum- consumerism is definitely one of the areas where, you know, setting, setting your body or your belly as, as your God, that is something where we definitely set up a substitution for God and religion. Another area that is a replacement for God and religion is such a, a weak replacement too, is politics. Uh it's more like a replacement for devotion with quasi-intellectual uh, active participation. Just think about this issue right now in Alabama where they're electing a senator. Is it really about the issues? Is it really about intellect? Has there been a race in the last 20 years that has really been about ideas, or has it all been boiled down to sound bites and, as they as, as it's been referred to before, politics is show business for ugly people? But is it is it really something where it has even entered into the, the realm of ideas? Exactly. Great point. I mean, I've been making I've been making this point for years and years and years. You know, there are people who have the capacity um, and the knowledge base and the experience to be effective as as leaders um, at the local, state and national level. The, The problem today is, is that anyone who actually is smart enough to have or competent enough switched on enough to to be worthy of that sort of a position is just sitting sitting in the back saying there's no way I'm going to get involved with any of this this is completely unserious um you know I read Carl Denninger and this is this is Denninger's thing he's just for over a decade now he's been pulling his hair out trying to get people to focus on you know, big, big, big things like um, healthcare, the, the 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 completely disordered nature of healthcare delivery, the fact that healthcare costs are, are increasing at nine percent per year. You know, do the rules to there, folks, and it tells you how long the doubling cycle takes, and you're you're going to just completely consume your entire economy um, within within all of our natural lifetimes on just this, this completely disordered healthcare thing. 
and and nobody is paying attention. Yeah, I mean, there's there's you know a few thousand people who are paying attention in a nation of 330 million. There's a few thousand people who are even aware of this, who are paying attention, who have the capacity to understand it, um, formulate some sort of a solution to come out the other side. I mean, all this other stuff. You're absolutely right. So you talk about the Roy Moore thing and all of these other all of these other controversies and these people are all completely unserious. I did a talk in Colorado Springs in like 2000. Well, I burned the Quran in 2011, so it must have been in in later 2011. And yeah, or maybe early 2012 because it was during the you know, campaign cycle. And I put up and it was a it was a Tea Party group. So um, I, the people in the in the room were pretty taken aback when I put all of the pictures of all of the presidential candidates up on the up on the uh, projector and went through them one by one and said, "Here's why each one of these people." And let's go down the line. Who was it? It was Mitt Romney, um, Sarah Palin, uh, Michelle Bachman, um, who's the black guy? Herman Herman Cain. Um, whoever else was in the field at that point. I Probably just, Ron Paul. Oh, yeah, Ron Paul, absolutely. And I point at every one of these people and just go down the line and say, this is why this person is completely unserious. This is why this person is completely unserious. No, they never address anything of any substance. It is show business, pure and simple. It's a uh, show business. It's soap opera. Um, it's, it's, and, and yeah, how sad is it that it's substitute religion, you know? Yeah, I'm going to attach myself and define myself and my entire life is going to revolve around these carnival barkers, carnival barker politicians. And that's what your life is going to revolve around. And what war for? Would you go to war um, because because the state is passing laws that says it's legal to murder your own child? Well, clearly not. Nobody went to war over that. People will be shaking their fists at the air and ready to go to war over some slight to some presidential candidate who's completely unserious to start with or any sort of political candidate who's clearly unserious to begin with. And, and your comment there uh, about going again, to war, I mean, it could li- it could be literal, but typically it means going to war against the people who want to support somebody else or the other guy, as the case may be. And that's what I was getting into, the whole quasi-intellectual active participation, making a, a play mm-hmm. on the active participation of the mass kind of thing. And it's not in, it's not truly intellectual. It's quasi-intellectual. It, it's sound bites. Uh, one, one of the, oh, I'd the, say it's sentimental. I'd say it's completely sentimental. Um, it's... Since nothing of any substance is ever being discussed or talked about, really all that's left at that point is just sentimental sloganeering, it seems to me. It, it reminds me in the opposite sense of um, a passage in the beginning of the book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, where the author uh, is, is recounting a scene from the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and I forget which one of them made the point but they, the audience stood up and began cheering, and the person who made the point rebuked the audience and says, an emotional reaction is, is uh, not what I'm looking for here, and you do me a disservice to applaud that way. These ideas are for your intellect to, to grasp and, and to you know, make your own, to make you a better voter. And when's the last time you heard a politician say anything along those lines? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what they're all going for. That's what all of the news channels are, are geared to do, um, just to elicit extraordinarily shallow, sentimental reactions to things um, without, without any thinking, without any true intellectual engagement on any of this stuff. And it goes for the right as well as the left. Now, obviously, I'll be the first one to make the argument that clearly, I mean, as, as the left de- descends into you know, post-rationality, where they're arguing that objective realities such as sex doesn't exist, no such thing as male, no such thing as female. I mean, obviously, we're talking about a, a far graver intellectual situation. But 
it, it's on the right as well. And this is what I keep trying to remind people on, on the so-called Tea Party right or the Trump right, as it would now be. You guys, there's not any really serious intellectual engagement going on here. Um, and this this would be a critique that I would have, obviously, of, of what Trump is doing when he goes on Twitter. Um, I talk about something that's completely contra-intellectual you're limited to do 140 characters to start with well and then, 288 now i think oh they doubled it oh yeah, well it, huzzah such a, that, massive, that, such a massive improvement yeah massive improvement that'll that'll solve all of humanity's problems now um but you know just go on twitter and getting in these pissing matches with people and hurling hurling insults and and you're just sitting here and you're you're thinking, well, when is somebody going to do something about the fact that that these healthcare costs are going to completely devour and implode the entire economy? D- does Trump even know about this? Is he aware of this? Does he care? I mean, oh, he's too where- busy tweeting at the uh, North Korean prime minister or whatever he's called, calling him a fat toad. Yeah, again, just another. It gins people up. It gins people up, but it's it's a completely shallow non-intellectual, frankly, childish. I, I guess that's the way that you could define it is there, there just aren't any damn grownups anywhere. There are no adults in this, in this culture, in this society. There are no adults at the table. There's no serious problem solving going on. All there is, is the, the, the very shallow emotionalism of, of. Ch- I apologize for any uh, audio interruption there. Uh, we're, we're seem to be having audio glitches a little bit tonight. So, um, apologize and uh, we'll, we'll move on. We were pretty much wrapping up the, the whole topic on politics. And the next section I wanted to get into was, uh, the idea of replacement for devotion with a semblance of theology and spirituality. And that is fantasy, science fiction, and entertainment. Um, obviously I think it's pretty clear, clear to see in that space. You can look at movie stars as, as, as being, you know, replacement idols in their own right. Um, role models. I mean, who, who really should be, emulating a, a, um, movie stars, even, even John Wayne, he, he was a, a decent role model in, in terms of a, a fictional character, but did you really want to emulate him all that much? Exactly. I mean, don't, don't get me started on, on TV and all of this. I've been advocating for people to stop watching TV, um, cancel cable and satellite and more people are doing that, but they're, they're just moving into replacement things um, like the streaming. We've had this conversation before in the context of the, you know, the Weinstein and um, Kevin Spacey, all of that, you know, finding out that these people are actually genuine, honest to goodness, rape monsters in their real life. Um, And let it, let it also not go unsaid that the women who are, and some of the men who are coming forward and, and, you know, saying, I've been a victim of all of this. Well, you know what? You put up with it for years and years and years and years. And it seems pretty clear to anybody with two brain cells to rub together that what you essentially did was made the decision, made the executive decision to prostitute yourselves and to tolerate being as you claim sexually assaulted um and we don't need to discuss once again uh, uh, my confusion is as to how it is that um a woman who let's let's just say a woman who is in a position of extreme physical uh power over a man and who could end a sexual assault with, let's be honest, one good chomp with her jaw. Um, I, I don't understand how these things, how you can say that you're, you were just completely and totally victimized by all this. And so many of them kept going back again, 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 and again. Um, it, it just gets a little bit tedious to hear them say, I, I, I was so shocked. I was paralyzed with fear. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening to me. Oh, of course you did. Come on. You knew exactly what you were doing and you made, you, you made the calculus and you decided that it was worth it to prostitute yourselves. Um, so, and in terms of television, you know, this stuff is just, it's all unwatchable. There's nothing that's watchable. Um, I think one of the the topics we were going to discuss is, you know, like Star Trek and things like that. 
I grew up watching well, I was, Star Trek. I was Trek. about to get to Star Trek. I mean, we're, we're going to spend a few minutes on that. I wanted to hit really quickly on Harry Potter. Um, oh, that, yeah, that was, yeah. You know, definitely it's it's dual medium entertainment at that point, books and, and now movies and who knows what else. I think they, they've got spinoffs and whatnot. But there was a book that I saw on Amazon trying to make the connection and explain why Harry Potter is a is a uh, is is a oh, what's the right word expounding Christianity and and uh, oh, a, a theocentric uh, philosophy. It's like, are you kidding? These are these are demonic spells. I mean, they're witches, straight up witches and, yep. and wizards. This is you know, call it white, black, whatever magic. It's demonic either way. Yep. Um, there, there's and, this, and, and this, he this goes, lies. It, it, Harry Potter basically gets through his life and accomplishes all of the things that he accomplishes by just lying and deceiving and cheating and doing things like this. Everyone I've ever known who's gone, who's you know been trad Catholic and just sworn up and down that there's nothing wrong with Harry Potter and Harry Potter's great, and oh, you stupid trads, because because you think this is bad, uh, turned out to have, shall we say, some extraordinarily grave um, psycho-spiritual pathologies, and we'll leave it at that. I've never known one person who was especially a trad Catholic who defended Harry Potter and didn't end up being just an absolute degenerate um basically almost living double lives to say it, it can't be pointed up too strongly that what super what super nerd just said these characters are witches and warlocks okay where is this power coming from that these adults and these children are are wielding it's not coming from our lord and savior jesus christ i'll tell you that right now um, the whole thing is is just trying to sleaze and sleaze into and normalize the occult, basically. Um, so I don't think anyone should should be watching it. And also, let let me also say, it's it's bad. She is a poor writer. It's the same damn plot in each one of those stupid books i mean i started watching i think i watched the first three movies and then by the third one it was just so tedious and it, you just didn't have any interest in it anymore it was just tedious so well, it isn't even the, think about the timing when all of this is coming out as well and go back to a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about uh father ripiger and and his uh his dissertation on the uh seven generational yep. spirits and the seventh yep. one is the age of the occult so it should be no surprise that in entertainment whether it's books media uh movies tv whatever you're going to see a rise of the normalization of the occult whether it's witches whether it's um uh, what was the sabrina thing uh, the, the Sabrina the Sabrina, Teenage the Witch, teenage which, is, witch, which, yeah. which mm -hmm. uh, I've never watched it, but I got the impressions from from uh, commercials or whatnot that it was like, wink, wink, they're cute and they they hang out and they're 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 all girlfriends kind of thing, but in, and there, it was all meant to make it all cutesy, as Disney shows. I think it's a Disney show. Probably sounds like something Disney would do, but the, the point is that watch for this this theme to show up so much. Um, and, and, and all the different um, all, all yep. the different movies and whatnot, and we'll get to Star Star Wars in its own move in its own uh, podcast here in, in, in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's definitely elements of that in there as well. But um, we, we we already started going into Star Trek. This is another um, multimedia uh, franchise that that really has taken the idea of an an idea of of how people are supposed to be well, actually it's an anti-theology really I'll, I'll just let you yeah. know on that because i think you know more about star trek than i do yeah i've been I, when so when i was a kid i would watch um star trek the original series because that's all there was when i was a kid and it was on every night at 6 p.m and i loved it i would watch star trek every every weeknight then in 87 star trek the next generation came out and that started and i watched i watched that all the way through but as you as you mature, grow older, and as Star Trek has gotten progressively worse um, as the decades have unfolded, I'm, uh, so for example, um, the the base premise of the United Federation of Planets. Well, the the best possible way you could spin that is that it's it's the United Nations in space. Um, I think Roddenberry was pretty straightforward about his. Marxist slash communist leanings, the whole notion that there is no money in the future and, you know, 
everybody uh, what, what's the what's the um what is it that mark says um from each according to their ability to yes, each according yes. to their need yeah each according to their need and that's how that's how the um that's how the society appear appears to operate and you know there are several references to the fact where you know they encounter some quote unquote more primitive culture and the the primitive culture makes the inquiry well don't you have any money and you know there's just always this condescending scoff oh oh no we've we've evolved so far beyond that 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 is in our animalistic past you know um so there were several episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation that pop that come to mind. Um, specifically, there was one that was it was and th- Star Trek The Next Generation was ran from 87 to 94. It ended in 94. So this would have been in like 92, 93. There was an episode um, that was trying to normalize homosexuality. And the plot was that they went to a planet where um the 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 po- the population of this planet were essentially all ace or yes asexual they were basically genderless neither male nor female and but every once in a while a certain percentage of the population would either manifest as feminine or manifest as masculine and that was considered to be this great and terrible perversion there's another show that's kind of quasi star trek where they're doing this exactly the same thing again right now and it's kind of weird because it's like half com it's supposed to be half comedy and half star trek and um they've they're pushing all this again with the asexual um asexual race of beings and they but clearly they're all men okay clearly they're all men so you've got this this very strongly implied homosexual thing happening and then they reproduce and the the child comes out and it looks it looks female and so they have to get get it a sex change so that it'll be normal it's just all these sleazy backhanded ways to try to normalize things like sexual perversion um or it could be hollywood's way of saying that they're anti-woman oh well you know uh, apparently, since they're all a bunch of rape monsters, um, there there was fornication in Star Trek: The Original Series. Captain Kirk was a womanizer. Um, you know, he it was it was even it was clear to me even as a child that he was fornicating with a, a different woman in almost every episode. Then you get into Star Trek: The Next Generation, and there's fornication in that. It's all normalized and it just gets progressively worse and worse and worse. And religion all the way through the history of Star Trek, religion has always been treated as an inferior, um, uh, a culturally inferior phenomenon that it is the job of the atheist enlightened uh, United Federation of Planets to help these races evolve out of their primitive religions. Religion is always, always, always cast as a, basically as a pathology, as a social pathology in Star Trek. Um, and I, I just don't understand how that can be ignored anymore. Isn't one of the more... I guess religious uh, expressions of any of the the the, the Federation types, uh, the Vulcans, where where they have this obsessive compulsion with with logic. I mean, it, it's almost religious in the way they do it, but it's clearly like a self help aisle kind of thing that that they decided to, to adopt as a race. Why, super nerd? I'm so glad you brought that up because what is the what is the goal of all Vulcans? The goal of all Vulcans is to purge themselves of all emotion. Hmm, where have we heard that theme before? Where beings, human beings, or in this case, Vulcan beings, um, make the free conscious choice to completely purge themselves of all emotions. Ah, isn't that the working definition that we use of diabolical narcissism? Um, a person who, well, who okay. has no Narcissism is, is purging yourself of love. I was going to go a slightly different direction with this, but I'm blanking on the name. It goes back to uh, Greek and Roman times. Uh, a whole philosophy of thought there, and I, I, I can't remember the name Stoicism? now. Yeah, that Stoicism? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's unhealthy because it, it, if you're going to purge yourself of all emotion, I mean, obviously— 
what you're going to be targeting at the top of that list is going to be love. Because if you think that emotions are, are, in, are an intrinsic weakness, what is the emotion that makes a person potentially most vulnerable? It's clearly love. That's going to be at the top of the list. And so the, the implication is, is that, you know, these, uh, these beings, these Vulcans, they're purged of not only the positive emotions, but then also the negative emotions. They're purged of anger, you know, they're purged of hatred, so on and so forth. And the Vulcans are presented as being previously a, a very violent, very warlike race. And then they became, quote unquote, enlightened and they purge themselves of all emotion. And that is their quasi religion. Certainly, that's how it's all presented. Um, the Klingons are presented as being, you know, they the Klingons have, um, it's like have a militarized uber form of id. Yeah, they're they're presented as having a religion. In fact, yes, I remember now in Star Trek, the next generation. And then also in Deep Space Nine, because one of the main characters was a Klingon. The there is a there is a a Christ figure that is introduced in the Klingon um in the Klingon religion, Kales Kales was this char- was this character's name, and oh I remember the plot now it's all coming back to me. Um, they find DNA of this Klingon Christ named Kales, and then they regenerate him. And so then the Klingon character in Star Trek, who's a regular character, then meets and encounters this genetically reconstituted Kales and is scandalized and loses his faith because he's so disappointed that, you know, this reconstituted being isn't this isn't this great guru that he thought he that he thought he would be it's clearly an attack on on christianity on the incarnation of our lord etc cetera, etc cetera. and so the, the Klingons, idea being that even the few religious examples that exist in star trek uh upgrade themselves to atheism oh absolutely no question no question um and so yeah you're just you're it's constantly attacking all religious sentiment as being um, devolved, animalistic, um, and something that people need to be need to be led out of by this, you know, munificent uh, United Federation of Planets that, in its generosity, will come and help these people evolve out of their out of their religious uh, out of their religious foolishness. I do want to point out that even though we're we're taking a baseball bat metaphorically to the, the whole idea of, of, of entertainment industry at large, there are legitimate uses for this. I mean, there are good movies. Uh, a man for all seasons is one of them. Uh, sure. there are good books, of, uh, works of fiction. Um, some, something I'm, I'm working on for the other podcast, which I promise I am going to, you're laughing at that. I really am working on the I'm other coughing. podcast. No, I'm coughing. I'm <laughs> coughing. <laughs> uh, is, is a, is a, uh, a, a, an inquest of, of the, the question, why should Catholics study literature? Um, not whether we should, but why we should. And, and, and if you're not, then there's something you need to examine about that. So the, the even though we're attacking this whole idea of, of uh, entertainment as, as one of the ways that, that uh, gets presented in modern culture as a substitute for God and religion, that's not to say that it is all bad. It certainly can be bad. In the same sense that Stoicism, when you take it to its illogical extreme, uh, trying to purge human beings of all emotions, that goes too far. Uh, there is, mm-hmm. there is, you, there is utility in practicing certain amounts of stoicism because we have imbalanced emotions ever since the, uh, the garden of Eden. So a certain amount of stoicism will actually do good. What exactly is Lent when you think about it? It's self-denial. Right. You're, you you are fighting the, the, as St. Saint, uh, Francis Assisi would say, brother ass to get him in line so that, so that the spirit can rule the body. So Stoicism taken to its extreme is bad, and, and it's it's a diabolical uh, uh, disorientation of something which is which is found in Christianity, um, being uh, detached from material things. But mm-hmm. you can clearly take this too far. The last part I wanted to get into, and, and I mentioned at the top of the of the podcast that the whole genesis for this this whole theme was a uh, blog post on the Dominican Journal on sports and religion. And that is to talk about sports, the replacement for devotion with non-intellectual active participation. 
Oh my goodness. Um, if you have been around rabid sports fans, you, you don't have to go, uh, it doesn't have to be explained to you that people take this stuff more seriously. Even Catholics, unfortunately, take sports more seriously than they take religion. Um, oh, of course. Of I can't, course. I can't talk to Denver Bronco fans. I'm, I'm a Chargers fan. I can't talk to Raiders fans even worse kind of thing. I'll cross the street to, to run over a Raiders fan kind of thing. And it, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, well, you see it. I mean, clearly when I was going to Nova Sordo mass for that short period when I was converting and then immediately after my conversion, you go to mass at, well, what time was the mass that I would go to? Nine o'clock? Yeah. So I go to the nine o'clock mass. And then, you know, in Denver, oftentimes the Bronco game, if they were playing, let's see, if they were playing a team on the East Coast, it would be the 10 o'clock game in the Denver time zone. So when there was a game, you know, these people would, first of all, the, the priest would open the mass by making some sort of a joke or reference about the Broncos. And, you know, I, I posted just today, um, I was sent a, a link, a book has just been published. In fact, a compilation has just been published of Don Prosper Garanger's commentary on the mass. So that kind of jibes with what uh, this little project that Super Nerd and I just barely started of going through the mass and explaining the mass. Well, if, if there are those of you out there listening and you're interested in this, look at the link that's right now um, on the on the website uh, about Don Prosper Garanger's uh, commentary on the mass. And look at look at just the beginning of the mass super nerd and i have already covered the, you know the prayers at the foot of the altar the next is the introit and when you when you become familiar with the tridentine mass and you've been going to it you know weekly or even daily for years and then you look back at the novus ordo and you realize What's what's going on at the beginning of most Novus Ordo masses is so disordered and so irreverent and in some cases so sacrilegious that the introit isn't being said. Well, obviously, the prayers at the foot of the altar are not being said because the um, the Bunini and the Freemasons and the Sodomites who infiltrated the church, they intentionally cut all of that out. But even the procession into the church for a for a Novus Ordo mass, the priest oftentimes would be, you know, greeting people, giving kids high fives as he walked up the aisle like a damn game show host. Okay, wearing a Broncos so, jersey. Yeah, well, not quite wearing a Broncos jersey, but wearing Broncos socks. Um, the the priest that in the parish that I came in through, he was notorious for his flamboyant socks, and so he would wear Broncos socks and show them to everybody during the course of the mass. You must have gone to a um, conservative parish. Yeah, it was. It was one of the most conservative parishes in the Archdiocese of Denver, and I'm not kidding. Um, so, the even the entrance and the beginning of the mass. Oftentimes, the introit is not said. It, it just doesn't happen. It never occurs. Um, you know, the the penitential rite at the beginning of the Mass sometimes is just, let us call to mind our sins. And then maybe someone will say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. And okay, that, right that's along. it. <laughs> and moving right along, let's get right into the glory and get that over with. Um, so you, you you look at these things and instead... What what the priest does is he he does his game show host entrance into the church, high fiving people. Doesn't that no introit is said? He goes up to his position, um, sitting at the Freemasonic throne um, of the Grand Master as it's now been positioned, and looks out at the people and makes some sort of a comment about the Broncos. Um, will pray that the Broncos have have a victory today against the Chargers or the Raiders or whoever it is, and. And you just, it, it, the sacrilege there is just so stunning and how far the liturgy has fallen and how banal and crass it has become. Then, okay, you've got the consecration. 
um, Holy Communion is distributed with the army of Eucharistic monsters. Everybody goes to communion because, you know, there's not a confessional in the church. No confessions have been heard in the church since the previous Good Friday. Um, nobody's going to confession. Um, we can intuit that either there's something in the water that's keeping all of these married women in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s from getting pregnant, or maybe they're on the pill. Um, I, I, you can, We can speculate and leave it up to our Lord which one it is, because only he knows. But, you know, these people have 1.7 children. They're all perfectly healthy, um, and they're married and of breeding age. What's going on there? Well, let's be honest. They're probably in mortal sin because they're probably on the pill. Everybody goes to communion. And then everybody, upon receiving communion, leaves. I mean, host in the mouth, go to the chalice with your with your purse, with your stuff in tow, with your jacket, and then immediately walk out of the church after receiving Holy Communion. Why? Why? So that you can get home and beat the traffic out of the parking lot and get home as fast as you can to to catch the beginning of the Broncos game. I, I mean, I saw this over and over and over again during the course of the football season. Um, so, yes, clearly people take all of that far more seriously than they actually take the holy sacrifice of the mass, receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, sin, death, judgment, heaven, hell. I mean, those are all those are all kind of punchlines and afterthoughts. Um, and then you look at things like you kind of mentioned the cults of personality revolving around the certain players. Um, that's it, it can be argued that that's a substitute for um, for saints. Um, oh, certainly that, when you get into role modeling and, and athletes looked up as looked up to as role models and we're kind of slamming on the NFL. Well, cause they deserve it. But yeah. uh, when, in some of these things that we're talking about, like politics and, and uh, entertainment, obviously the in, in sports, these all kind of cross over with each other. Uh, you get into situations where you have uh, some NFL dude thinks he's he, he's going to use his platform to complain about Black Lives Matter and all this, and you get into situations where we're now athletes who um, a lot of them it could be argued whether or not they they could even be carrying on the conversation intelligibly or not are now yeah. uh, setting up these these uh, self important social platforms for for change. Uh, give me really, really. Um, I would even take it a step below that. Just look at their comportment on the field, especially in football. Football is the worst. Then basketball, and then the least severe it seems to me is baseball. But uh, you know, I'm sure baseball will catch up at some point. Well, baseball Look at least at, has the has the inbuilt uh, social code that if you do something to, dis, to to disrespect the other team or the game itself, you're going to get a fastball in the ear hole. So yeah, exactly, exactly. But if you look at the NFL in particular, the way these guys act when they either score a touchdown or make a good catch or make a good block is so narcissistic and so prideful, prideful. That I mean, they literally walk around and strut and beat their chests like gorillas and, you know, do these celebratory um, gestures and actions and dances that are just so, so prideful and so depraved. And, and these are the people that are held up and celebrated. That goes on to some extent also in basketball, the reason why it isn't worse is because in basketball, you immediately turn around and inbound the ball and the game continues. Football is so slow that there's this time for all of these absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous manifestations of pride. And that's what everybody's you know, that's what everybody's emulating, holding up as heroes to their children. Um, and, you know, my rant about grown men running around wearing wearing a jersey with another man's name festooned across the back. I mean, it's 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 nauseating. It's absolutely nauseating. And this is just the lighter critique that we have on this one. It gets really it gets more serious when you talk about a recent story that we were, we were talking about before the show. 
Uh, there was a college women's basketball coach who had an offer to coach. I want to say it was at um, New Mexico State or something like that. It, and if I have it wrong, sorry, it, it, the where isn't really the point. She had the offer to coach, and she was getting ready to, to uh, travel out there from uh, California, I think, is where she lived. And got a phone call from from the school saying, uh, we've, we're rescinding your offer. Uh, we we did some more research and found out that you were in a video where you talked about um, going straight after being a lesbian in, in uh, high school, college, and professional basketball, and talking about how you were the about the two percent of of, of um, or there about two percent of the women in, in professional basketball are straight, and just this whole idea that um, women's sports. I mean, okay, you can kind of understand that that men's sports it's it's a proxy for battle. It, it's it, it's you know. There, there's this whole need to do something with testosterone that uh, we're either shooting each other in, in, in some sandy, deserty place or we're beating each other's brains in on a football field. Um, maybe we're not as smart as we ought to be, which gets into the whole topic we've been talking about here, substituting God and religion. But there is a darker element of it as well. And and um, this isn't an area I'm as uniquely qualified to talk about. So uh, this whole topic about... Uh, <laughs> The woman, well, who, girls and she, she, this, this woman who, yeah, this, this woman who, who, who had did, did this video, it was just one of these uh, Christian testimonials. She was not going out of her way to make a big deal about it. I guess she had said something at a, at a, at a prayer gathering and somebody who did video, um, testimonial said, Hey, can I record this? And, uh, her name got attached to it and, and it was able to be Googled. And so, you know, somebody found out that she's associated now with, uh, uh, gay to straight conversion therapy and whatnot. So yeah, go, go on. Well, I mean, the whole deal with girls in sport, I mean, it's intrinsically an iffy area to start with because the sports that the girls are playing are are men's sports. Basketball is a men's sport. Um, Baseball or baseball derivatives are a men's sport. I'm sorry, but softball is is derivative of the men's sport of baseball certainly soccer this is a this is a man's sport yeah, it seems uh, okay. they're they're intrinsically masculine but the the problem with our culture is is that you know we think about child sexual abuse in terms of um homosexual men preying on boys and heterosexual men preying on girls and what just kind of has been ignored and has totally gone under the radar and people think, oh, that this just must not happen at all is lesbian women preying on girls. And I am telling you, this is a big, big problem. I have seen I, now see my thing when I was a kid was was ballet was dancing. I never I never played sports because I was always so busy um, with ballet. That's what I did to keep myself occupied after school. And so um, I would see these girls who would who were completely normal, very feminine, flitty, you know, flitting around being ballerinas. And then when they're 9, 10, 11 years old, their parents put them in generally soccer. Um, but it was also in junior high, you, the girls sports were um, basketball and volleyball. And you would see these girls that you could just tell. I mean, like overnight, it would be a complete change. And they would start acting like lesbians. These these little girls would take on this extremely masculine comportment, would start walking like boys, would assume the gait of boys. Um, everything about their person was just infected with this. And what people don't want to talk about and acknowledge is that there have been a hell of a lot of girls who have been sexually abused in a, in a pedophilic or a febophilic um, paradigm by lesbian female sports coaches. And then as they get older, when they get into high school and college, uh, as it happened with um, the woman that you referenced, it, it just becomes a peer pressure thing. If you go into a high school basketball team or volleyball team and 
a large percentage of the girls there have been abused already and have been driven into sexual perversion themselves. And then you're surrounded by all of that. Then there's this peer pressure that you engage in that too. And I think there's a hell of a lot of that going on with especially um, black female high school and college basketball players. The woman that super nerd referenced, she said that the W she was in the WNBA. She was drafted out of college. She said the WNBA was like 98% lesbian and she wasn't joking. She was dead serious that it was like 98% lesbian. There are certain women's uh, college basketball teams. You can tell by looking at them. I mean, they're, they're not trying to hide it that, they're they're all operating as lesbians. I would be in this day and age, I would urge the utmost caution with putting girls into any sort of these these sporting paradigms. And you need to be watching like a hawk. You can't look at a female coach and say, well, my daughter's safe because the coach is female. The coach might be a female lesbian pedophile. In fact, there's there's sporting odds that the coach is could be a female lesbian pedophile. Um, high school coaches, I mean, you could tell there were there were high school coaches that were just weren't even trying to be coy about the fact that they were lesbians. And then, you know, what we've talked about in terms of diabolical narcissism, what goes for the goose goes for the gander, especially in this case. If you have women who have descended into diabolical narcissism and then sexual perversion is a derivative of that, diabolical narcissism and sexual perversion is vampiric. They're looking to infect other people, younger people. They, they're vampires. That's why there's so much child sexual abuse amongst um, sex per- homosexual sex perverts. Well, all homosexuals are sex perverts. That's why you can never leave children around homosexuals ever, 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 ever. Every homosexual, by definition, is a clear and present danger to children, including blood relatives. You can never leave children alone with homosexuals. You just can't. And yet we are taking our daughters and we're handing them to these lesbians and get them into these paradigms where either the adult coaches or then eventually when they get older, high school and especially college, it becomes this massive peer pressure dynamic and they're peer pressured into it. And they say, well, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this team. The team is everything for a lot of them. They're thinking, you know, I I have to do this to go to college. This is how I'm going to get a full ride scholarship to go to college, blah, blah, blah. They get into these sporting paradigms and they're, they are recruited into the these paradigms of sexual perversion you can't be too careful i wouldn't i personally if i had a daughter i wouldn't let her play uh, um organized sports in that way a because it, it's it's intrinsically driving the femininity out they're trying to drive the femininity out of the girls and trying to convince them that girls and boys are the same, have the same physical prowess, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only going to get worse because you know, I mean, they're uh, they're already denying that sex even exists, right? So if they're denying already that sex even exists, in 10 years from now, there probably aren't going to be any sex-segregated athletic teams or sports. So you're going to have girls playing on the same team with boys in these various sporting endeavors, that that's just a recipe for disaster, as we all know. It's only going to get worse from here. I wouldn't let a little girl anywhere near sporting at this point. Um, you know, I would lean towards the more feminine things. Obviously, dance. You have to keep an eye on everything and dance, too. Um um, and you, you should never let your daughter go to a dance class where there are any gay men anywhere around. Um, you know, in a small dance studio, there shouldn't be any gay men. There shouldn't be any of them anywhere around. Um, so you have to be careful with all of that. I mean, it's just 
you have to be realistic about the state of the culture and use an abundance of caution because they're your children. And you have to understand that they're, that Satan and all of his minions running around on the face of the earth are actively hunting your children, hunting their souls, and you have to protect them from these things. And it's not irrational and overprotective to be realistic about how far, how fast our culture has fallen. Well, in terms of sports may not even be male and female in the future, there's already that aspect coming in through the back door with with the whole transgender business where men either declare that they're now women or go through some kind of surgery. They're still physically men and they can beat the daylights out of women in most sports. Um, That's not exactly fair, but it's becoming uh, more common now. I'm sure I've heard some stories recently with with, um, uh, high school athletics where this guy decides he's a woman now and is just, you know, crushing the field and, and track and field, so to speak. So mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, and, and then of course, when you, when you have a professional tennis player, like was it Patrick McEnroe was asked about um, Venus Williams or Serena Williams, whichever one it was. Serena Williams, yeah. yeah. The, 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 possibly the best female tennis player ever saying, how would she rank against the men? And he said probably the mid 700s. Yeah. Was, this was considered to be such a, a horrible thing for him to say. It's like, well, no, she can't beat the men. yeah it's just a physical difference yep but that's that's objective reality and one of the signs of moral and intellectual superiority in this in this world today is denying objective reality that's that's your credential right there that's your social justice warrior credential and when you deny objective reality and that uh, there is a god and we owe him worship uh, that is religion It's, it's the virtue of of owing worship to god under the virtue of justice when you, when you deny those, you're going to have to find substitutes in one way or another because the human soul will not rest until it rests in God. So that was the whole point of this, this episode, going over some of the, the ways that um, modern society makes, makes replacements. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. Yeah, oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. I'm, I'm sure we could probably have uh, multiple shows just based on ideas where, hey, you forgot this idea. And by, by all means, send those emails in, uh, podcast bet. at barnhart.biz. Uh, it might be worthwhile to do a, do a follow-up uh, episode or two on this. Um, but for, for now that that's, that's all I had for my notes. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to go on about? No, I'm, I need to go cough up a lung and, uh, blow some wood glue out of my nose and then take a nap. So <laughs> I think we should call it. <laughs> okay. Well, on that thought, uh, on, the, on, on that topic, um, just a general reminder, every Monday through Thursday, there's a mass offered for Ann's benefactors and maybe for Ann too <laughs> at this point. Um, and once a week there's a Requiem mass. Hopefully that doesn't apply to you anytime soon. Uh, a <laughs> mass for all souls who died during the previous week. Please remember to join your intentions with these masses and to pray for the priests as well, uh, as well as the two of them who are deployed downrange as military chaplains, either now or very soon. Um, mm-hmm. They're definitely mm-hmm. putting the militant and church militant. Uh, feedback, questions, comments, suggestions, ideas for what we missed here on uh, Substitute Religions. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is a super nerd media production. I would like to thank recent PayPal donors, Susan, David, and Arthur. Thank you very much for your, gener- for your generosity. And if you would like to support this podcast project, you can find more information at supernerdmedia.com slash donate. Uh, any last thoughts uh, on this Cyber Monday before we put this episode out into cyberspace? Don't forget the Matthew 1720 um, initiative, full fasting Tuesdays and Fridays or two days a week, whatever you can do. That's what I'm doing. And just praying for this for a swift resolution to this uh, horrible situation in the church that we have. God can do anything, so keep praying. This is an example of maybe not a replacement uh, God and religion, but a replacement Pope? I don't know. Uh, That's another show. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. God bless.